Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from the Southern California foothills town of Glendora, California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead lost people to Jesus, building a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you, opens your heart, and shows you how to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Welcome to Real Life. If you're here for the first time, I'm Jim and I'm your pastor. And never fails that no matter how many people come, we still leave the front row available for the Holy Spirit. Well done. Well done. What a faithful congregation. And uh, yeah, I feel like I should give you updates on my contagious illnesses because you seem to... Okay. Good morning to those in the chapel who uh, were even more afraid and are now on the other end of the campus. God bless you guys as you worship on the other side of our church this morning. And everybody who's joining online as well, because I realize there are people who are out and about who nonetheless tune in and join us uh, on the weekends online. So that's cool too. Uh, Good to see you all this morning. Uh, I have uh, had uh, an adventurous summer uh, in all kinds of ways, and a really faith-building summer. And I've shared with you a little bit about that since I got back from the conference I went to in England, and I've got to talk to you about that uh, more today. But today, we begin a new series of teachings uh, called Much Faith. And it comes from the four times in the life of Jesus where he says to his disciples, oh, you of little faith. And each time he says it, go home and look this up, each time he says it, he means something a little bit different by the word faith. He uses it in different ways when he says it. Go home and look this up. Um, And and it's fascinating. There there are moments where in the life of uh, the people around Jesus, faith plays a pivotal role in what happens in their lives. There's one moment actually where it says Jesus could not work many miracles among them because of their lack of faith. Faith plays this critical role in unleashing the supernatural in our lives. And I want to be a person of faith, and I want us to be a church of faith. And I think that's probably the next big pivot in the life of real life, uh, that, that faith would be unleashed in new and powerful ways. And so I want to spend the next few weeks looking at those moments in the life of Jesus where he says to his disciples, oh, you of little faith, and look at what he meant and what happened next. Open with me, if you would, in your Bibles, turn them on, Matthew chapter 14. We're going to look at a moment in the life of Jesus, which if you've been to Sunday school is a famous one. You've probably heard this before. If you're new to church this morning, because I realize every week there are people who are here for the first time, this might be a brand new story. And it's a a fascinating one, and it's a powerful one. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 14. But as we go to the Bible together, let's pray. God, I thank you that you love us, and I thank you that you call us to yourself, and I thank you that all you're looking for, all you need from us are tiny little steps of faith that show that we trust you, that we're willing to risk for you, that we're willing to fall back into your arms just to see if you will catch us. And God, I thank you so much that you are a God of love, that everything about you is love, that you want us to be a people of love, and you are eager to catch us, you're waiting to catch us. You want us to see how dependable you are. I have seen that over and over again in my life. Show us more, Lord. Show us more how much we can trust you, how much you're there for us. As we open the scriptures, by the truth of your word and the power of your spirit, make us the people that you mean for us to be. 
And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. All right, this is Matthew chapter 14 at verse 22. Matthew was a disciple of Jesus, one of the inner circle of 12, and kind of has a unique story among the disciples because Matthew had become a tax collector. That means Matthew was a Jewish man who the Romans conscripted to take money away from his own people and give it to the empire that ruled over them. So the Jewish people hated Rome and they disliked Jewish people who were collecting taxes for Rome, they saw them as traitors. And so that's who Matthew was. And Jesus, this famed rabbi, this celebrated teacher who traveled around, people gathered around him, sees Matthew at the tax collector's booth one day and pulls him away from that job and makes him a disciple. So that's who Matthew is. Matthew chapter 14 at verse 22, listen to the word of God. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. When Jesus says, it is I, what he actually says in Greek is ego eimi, and that's a famous line in the teachings of Jesus. It's literally, I am. Take courage, I am. Don't be afraid. And Jesus says, I am on purpose, because every Jewish listener in the first century world would have known exactly what that meant. Uh, Jesus does it over and over again repeatedly. I am the resurrection. I am the life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the vine. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. He does this over and over again. And the I am statements are meant to be a throwback to a guy named Moses. Moses was one of the patriarchs of the Jewish faith. Uh, Moses was a, a shepherd living out in the wilderness. He was a murderer who had never served time, and he was living uh, a life just to, to die quietly in the desert. And it was at that po point that God heard the cries of his people who were slaves in Egypt and decided that he was going to set his people free. He, he is a God who loves to see his children free. So he speaks to Moses out of a burning bush in the desert. And he says to Moses, I'm going to set my people free from slavery. I'm going to take them out of the house of Pharaoh. I need someone to stand up and to go and to lead my people to, to freedom. Any volunteers? And Moses goes, whoa, 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 whoa. If I go and stand in front of Pharaoh, this great king, and I say, your slave labor is about to leave, and they say, who sent you? What am I supposed to say? And God says, I am. Tell them, I am sent you. And what God means when he says that is that there's no other foundation beneath God. God is the most foundational thing. There's nothing by which God needs to justify himself. He is the foundation of everything else. God says, I am, and there's nothing else that explains him. Uh, think about it this way. Uh, uh, I, if, I, if I talk about me, if I talk about Jim, there are foundations to Jim that I can appeal to. Uh, I, can, I can talk about, if I go up and introduce myself to someone uh, and I invite them to church, I can say, I'm Jim, the pastor of Real Life Church. 
And that sort of legitimates the fact that I'm inviting them to church. They go, oh, well, that, that makes sense that the pastor would do that. Or uh, school is beginning in, in my school district, and so I'm walking up to a lot of teachers, and I'm saying, I'm Jim, the father of Sonoma and Cohen. Right? And that legitimates me being on the school campus and walking up and introducing myself to teachers. I have, I have ex explanations of myself outside of myself. Uh, or when I'm at the seminary and I'm walking around, I'm Professor Miller. And uh, I'll hear, hear a student coming up to me, Professor Miller, and I think, oh, obviously they know me from my prestigious lectures and my worldwide selling books. And they'll, they'll come up to me and go, aren't you Yolanda's husband? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, so yeah. So I have a foundation outside of myself, that's who I am. Um, uh, uh, there, are, there are foundations outside of ourselves by which we explain ourselves, not God. God is the foundation of everything else. To what should God appeal to explain himself? There's only one exception. When God says, I am the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I am the one who set you free. I am the God who wants his children to be free. That's who I am. But God is the foundation of all else. God says to Moses, go tell them, I am sent you. And you should know that. You should know that because that's the foundation of your identity. If you are a follower of Jesus, or if you choose to be a follower of Jesus today, the foundation of your identity is that you are a child of God. There's nothing in your life more important than that. If you choose to be a follower of Jesus, that is the foundation of all else. And nothing in your profession, and nothing in your relationships, and nothing about your sexuality, nothing else identifies you more, more firmly than, I am a child of God. Amen? If you are a follower of Jesus, that is who you are. You are a child of God. So, so that was God speaking to Moses. Tell them, I am sent you. And so Jesus, over and over again, says, I am. I am, I am, I am. And when he does that, he's identifying himself with the God of all creation. He's saying, that's who I am. I am that God, right? It's a radical and controversial thing for a, a Jewish man to do in the first century world. He's identifying himself with God. So that's one thing that Jesus does in this passage. Second, Jesus is doing something, something else in this passage when he walks on water that's fascinating and powerful. He is identifying himself with the God of the Hebrews, but he is distinguishing himself from another king. And I think Matthew knew this. I, I think, I've never seen this in any commentary, but I think Matthew had to know this. If you look at Matthew chapter 14 as a whole, Back at the beginning of the chapter, the chapter begins with John the Baptist, Jewish prophet, being murdered by Rome. John the Baptist was, was prestigious. He was a rock star in first century Judaism. The prophets were uh, admired, and, and they were awe-inspiring, and, and people were afraid of them because they heard directly from God. They knew what God was saying. If you go back and you read about Elijah in the Hebrew scriptures, everybody admired and feared Elijah because of who he was as a prophet. Well, John the Baptist, cousin of Jesus, is a prophet. And people go out in the wilderness to see him and to listen to him and to be baptized by him. He's this radical uh, uh, guy who speaks for God in the first century Jewish world. And at the beginning of Matthew 14, he's beheaded by Rome. That's Rome's way of saying, our gods are better than yours. Then Matthew records the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus takes a few loaves of bread and miraculously feeds 5,000 people with them. And when he does that, he's, he's responding to Rome. He's challenging Rome. Because the Romans were used to seeing uh, centurions walk through the Roman Colosseums, the, the, the circuses, and throw loaves of bread into the crowd and say, Caesar provides for you. Caesar provides for you. And after Jesus 
feeds 5,000 people with bread. It says in, in John's gospel, they tried to make him king by force. He fed them 5,000 with, people with bread and they tried to make him king by force because he was doing something that only Caesar had done. They had seen Caesar give out bread to the masses and now Jesus was doing it. And they said, yes, finally our revolutionary, revolutionary is here. Finally, the king who's gonna throw off Caesar is here. He's, Rome has just beheaded John the Baptist and now Jesus steps in and does something that they've only seen Caesar do. And they say, yes, that's what we want. We wanna throw out Rome and we want Jesus to be our king. And then you come to the walking on the water. This is Matthew 14. Beheading of John the Baptist, feeding of the 5,000, walking on the water. And I think this has a powerful historical significance. Everybody in the first century Roman world would have known the stories of Rome. As surely as you know the story about George Washington cutting down the cherry tree, or Abraham Lincoln and the Emancipation Proclamation. Right? We teach those to our kids from a young age. In the first century world, all the Roman Empire would have known about 49 AD, where Caesar crossed the Rubicon River and took Rome. And Rome went from being a republic to being an empire. And it ushered in the, the, ruler, the rulership of the Caesars, the 12 kings, the Caesars of Rome. Every first century uh, uh, Roman citizen would have known those stories. Everybody who worked for Rome would have known those stories. They would have bragged about how Caesar crossed the Rubicon River, came in and took power. You know who worked for Rome? Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector for Rome. He had listened to Roman soldiers brag about this story and tell this story over and over again. And little Roman kids were brought up with this story of Caesar crossing the Rubicon River and taking Rome. So follow this passage again. Rome kills John the Baptist, the premier prophet of Israel. Jesus steps into the role of Caesar and gives, Caesar, uh, gives bread out to the masses. And then Jesus goes out walking on the water, crossing over the water into Roman territory, so as to say, a new king has come. A new king has come to bring revolution to Rome, to throw off the powers that have oppressed you, and to bring in a new kingdom. Jesus' opening message is, repent, the kingdom of God is near. Jesus comes bringing in a new kingdom and promises that he brings a revolution which will, will start a, a world built on justice and a love for oppressed people. He comes in as a threat to the powers that be to say God's kingdom is stronger than them. Caesar may be able to kill John the Baptist, but Caesar is not the God of this world. And if you have lived in a world where you are pushed around, where you are bullied, where you are told what to do, where there are powers that rule over you that you can't control, when you become a Christian, when you become a follower of Jesus, you become a citizen of a new kingdom. You believe in a God who loves you and provides for you, a God who rules with justice and who loves oppressed people. You believe in a God who provides for you. You don't need Caesar to provide a house of worship. You don't need to amass wealth to buy bread for yourself. You believe in a God who loves you and cares for you. You can fall back into the arms of this God because he wants to catch you. Jesus crosses the river crosses the lake to say, someone is coming who's a greater king than Caesar. I'm pretty sure Matthew knew that story. I'm pretty sure that's what Matthew is telling us here. But then this great and powerful moment in the life of Jesus is interrupted by Peter, who by all accounts is a moron. <laughs> Verse 28, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. 
Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Ah, Peter. Peter only opens his mouth to put his foot in it. That is the only reason he ever speaks. And the disciples know that about Peter. And they make fun of Peter. They tease Peter. All the gospels are filled with stories of Peter getting in the way and speaking up when he shouldn't. I know Matthew told this story the rest of Peter's life. I know he loved this story. Because, because here Jesus is at this great moment showing himself to be the, the God of creation, the rival to Caesar. And Peter goes, I want to play too. Maybe one day I'll get to be in the Bible. And so, so Peter gets out of the boat and steps on the water. But, you know, the storms on the Sea of Galilee are pretty fierce. Today, there are actually signs posted on the Sea of Galilee that say, if you park here, your car might get washed away. And so, so Peter sees the wind, and he starts to be afraid, and glub, 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 glub. Now, I don't think Peter is a failure in this moment. I, I, don't, think, I don't think Peter, in doing this, is the one who's messed up. I, I don't think Jesus is ashamed of Peter for hesitating and wavering. There are actually 11 failures in this story. They're all back in the boat. There are 11 failures in this story, people who didn't trust God enough to step out on the water. But Peter did. Peter had the faith to try. And for a moment, Peter lived the supernatural. I think God, God waits for moments where we will just trust him enough to step out. Just put a few toes in the water to see what happens. I think God is waiting to do that in your life. If you will just trust him enough to, to put a foot out and see what happens when, when you risk something that you can't take care of yourself. When you say, Jesus, I'm going to trust this to your hands. That's the whole story of our church. That's the whole story of Real Life Church. This whole church has been built on stepping out on the water just to see what happens. From the very beginning, uh, this is now our three-year anniversary. This month is our three-year anniversary. And three years ago, we began with a, a meeting in the park. Some guys from the church called me and said, we're going to have a Bible study in the park this weekend. And 140 of you showed up. And there was not a bathroom in the park. It was not strategic at all. It was not, not well thought out. But it just began. Uh, we didn't even meet the next week because we didn't have a plan for where to meet. Two weeks later, uh, we met and, uh, and uh, a guy named Randy showed up with speakers and microphones and tech equipment and soundboards. And he says, uh, this is all mine, but you can use it. You can use it as long as you want. And for three years, thousands of dollars worth of equipment were provided for us for free because Randy just showed up. To this day, I don't know how he knew where we were or what we were doing. I didn't call him and say, we're in desperate need of microphones. We had uh, as much plans for that as we had for bathrooms in the park. But God just provided. We just stepped out in faith and there it was. The next week after that, I was having lunch with uh, Brian Clay, who was one of our board members at the time. We're all of, you know, three, four weeks into this little church that we started, and I'm having lunch with Brian, and this was when we only had one church service, so it was an early lunch, and uh, Brian and I had lunch together, and at the end of the lunch, he said, um, we're going to need some, we're going to need some projectors. We're going to have to project lyrics up on a wall. We're going to need some projectors. This is about one o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday. At four o'clock that afternoon, I get a text from a woman I don't know all that well, who says, God told me to give you my projector, and I want to meet you this week for coffee so I can hand it off to you. I don't know what to tell you about things like that. 
There are just moments where if you'll step out on the water, God will rush to provide what you need in supernatural ways. And it keeps happening. It keeps happening. We ended up in this building because uh, Anthony and I were out driving around one day and we pulled up our car in front of this building we'd never seen before. And there was a piece of paper taped on the door. We got out and read it and it said, join us at one of our other locations. And we realized this was an empty church building, a building we'd never seen or heard about. And then I looked at the, the name on the, the sign in front of the building and I realized an old friend of mine, a mentor of mine who is now uh, worshiping with us in heaven, had been the pastor here years before. And I got in touch with his family and the next day she put us in touch with the owners. That was this January and in April we moved in and began worshiping here. And I, I, kept, this, um, I kept this Google Doc, I kept this, this doc uh, that I went and looked again I haven't written a prayer down in 20 years. I just don't, I don't write them down, but I hadn't written a, a prayer in 20 years. And I went and I, uh, the day before we found this, I had, I had opened up my computer and for some reason I felt compelled to write a prayer down in this Google Doc that I've kept. And I wrote, Jesus, um, I'll pastor this church as long as I live if you want me to, but I don't know how to find a building. I've never done that before and I have no idea how to do that. If you want this to happen, I need you to help us find a building. And, and I went back. That was the day before we just drove around and drove up in front of this building. That's not the kind of thing that you can make happen on your own. Jesus is just waiting for us to get out of the boat, just to take a step out and see what happens. It even happened a couple weeks ago uh, in our congregation. Uh, a guy named John uh, was, was helping us out with a little project. There was a, a guy who, um, whose van stalled in front of the church. 23-year-old, uh, homeless, uh, addicted, and uh, we helped him get in a rehab center that he's in right now, and we've begun working on his van because we want it fully operational when he gets out of rehab. And a guy from our congregation, John, was, was working on this 20-year-old van. And, you know, 20-year-old van, there's not a lot of blueprints left for vans that old. So he was driving around to different car repair shops and looking for the manual for this van. And at the last one he went to, he, he went in, couldn't find the manual he need, walked out to the parking lot, and parked right next to his car was the exact same model of van that he was looking for. And the owner let him take pictures under the hood so he could see everything he needed out there. Again, you can't line that kind of thing up on your own. It was just a moment where we stepped out in faith and God rushed to provide what we needed. Peter steps out in faith and immediately glub, 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 down he goes. But Peter's not the failure here. There are 11 failures back in the boat. Peter is the one who acted in faith. Verse 31. Immediately, Jesus reached out his right hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Uh, this, is, this is the place where he says it, you of little faith. And there's other places you can go, go look up where he says, uh, elsewhere where he says it, you of little faith. Um, this, this phrase captures me. Uh, this phrase fascinates me because, because there's something Jesus is looking for when he talks about faith. Uh, again, the, the Bible contains everything we need to know about God to have a relationship with God, to live a faithful life, to be blessed by God. Everything we need is in the scriptures. But it would be different if it was on video, right? It'd be different if it was on video. 
Because sometimes you read passages like this when you hear Jesus say, you have little faith, why did you doubt? And, and if you had a bad experience with the church when you were a kid or if you had a parent who was really severe, you might hear Jesus with an angry voice when you read this. You might think, oh, Jesus is mad at Peter and he's scolding him. I don't think that's the case at all. I don't think this is a scolding tone at all. If we had this on video, I think you'd see something very different here. Because if Jesus was scolding Peter, it would have gone differently. It would have been Peter stepping out on the boat and going, Lord, help me. And then Jesus, ripping off his tunic, dove headfirst into the water, swimming a heroic crawl over to Peter, grabbed him, throw me the life ring, James, pulls Peter up on the boat, immediately does CPR. And as Peter sputters back to life, Jesus says, why did you doubt you of little faith? If he was mad, it would have gone something like that. I don't think that's how it went at all. I think Jesus rushed to him and went, whoop, 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 and grabbed him by the hand and probably walked back to the boat arm in arm with him on the water. When he says, you of little faith, it's not because he's scolding Peter. It's because he's endeared to Peter. Peter, if you'll just trust me, just trust me, even the storms are mine. If you're at a place in your life where you are not sure, where you can't see what God's doing, where you don't know if the storms of your life are in God's hands, God is not mad at you for that. God is not waiting to punish you for that. God loves you. And honestly just wants to scoop you up and remind you how much he cares and show you how good he is. He has not left you alone. He just wants you to have the courage to just, just take that first step out and put, you, put your toes in the water and see what happens. Now, that's, that's hard to do. And I've experienced myself recently how hard it is to do. Uh, I told you this uh, a few weeks ago before I went off to a, a conference in England. There was a Sunday where I was preaching up here. And I was talking about doubt. And I felt this nagging little voice in my head say, there's somebody in this room named David who's struggling with doubt this morning. And I remember thinking, Lord, don't bother me when I'm doing religious things. Um, and I remember thinking, well, Lord, I hope you and David work that out because I'm not going to say something about that out loud right now. That'd be super weird. And then after service, I was standing out in the lobby by the door and I was about to walk across the church campus and I felt that same little nagging voice in my head say, no, 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 stay right there. There's somebody close by you right now who's going to need you in a minute. Just stay right there. And I thought, well, that one I can do. That's not embarrassing. Nobody knows what's going on in here. I'll just stand here. And a minute later, 60 seconds later, a woman came up to me, new to the church for the first time in tears, who needed an appointment with a pastor. And if I had walked away, I would have missed her. And honestly, I think I missed David that day, although I think this last week I found out who that David was. The, the, the voice that you hear is not an audible one. It's, it's more like what's left over after a voice was in the room. I'll show you what I mean. If I tell you right now, picture in your head an elephant with wings. Can you do that? Picture an elephant with wings. Can you do that? Got that? You see that? Okay. So if I ask you now, how'd you get that image in your head of an elephant with wings? You'd say, well, you just said it. I heard you say it. And when you said an elephant with wings, it just kind of popped in my head. Like I couldn't prevent it. 
almost, right? It was just there. You said it and there. Okay, so the voice is like that, except there was no voice before it. Suddenly there's an idea in your head and you don't know where it came from. And it doesn't feel like a linear train of thought. It just surprises you there. And there it is. Okay. So then I went to a conference in England. And I haven't told you this yet. The conference was all about listening to God. That was all the, all the week was dedicated to. There were 5,000 people in this conference center, and it was all about listening to God. There were people teaching about listening to God. We were practicing listening to God. That's what the conference was for. And there was a night in the middle of the week where the pastor stood up on stage after a, an hour of worship, and he said, um, if you'd like to hear God speak more clearly in your life, stand up right now, and somebody from our prayer team will come around and, and pray for you. And so I stood up, people all over the room stood up, and I, I started to pray. Stood there for a while, with eyes closed, praying, and eventually I felt a hand on my shoulder, and a guy stood next to me praying for me. Just gentle, quiet words. And he prayed for a couple minutes, and I prayed. And then he said, so I feel like God is telling me that you need to take the first step, that you need to step out. He's not going to make you do it. You don't have to. He's not going to make you do it. But if you really want to experience God speaking to you and through you, you have to take the first step. And I said, oh, that's funny. I think there's this guy named David who probably thinks the same thing right now. (laughs) So he said, okay, well, let's keep praying. And so we prayed, and he prayed a little while longer, and I prayed a little while longer. And he said, okay, I'm going to go pray for some other people. I said, okay. So I stood there in prayer, and uh, I had this just sort of a, it was like a daydream. It was no different than a daydream. I saw this, this image of a, a woman with blonde hair under the age of 20, and she was sitting and praying that God would, be, God would be real to her. And I didn't think much about it. It was just a daydream, like you have daydreams all the time. And then I heard that kind of, that voice again, that residue of a voice that said, open your eyes. And so I did. And there, 20 feet in front of me, were two women, blonde hair, under the age of 20, talking to each other. And I thought, Lord, the one thing I'm not going to do is talk to those two strangers because that's super weird. And then I thought, oh, that guy just told me I had to step out for the first time. Oh, I don't think I'm going to get out of this one. (sighs) So I walked up behind these two women who were talking, and then I realized one of them was crying, and the other was consoling her. And I thought, oh, I don't want to interrupt that. So I stood there as awkwardly as could be. And when it looked like they were wrapping up, they turned around and looked at me, and I said, I'm sorry, I was just standing over there, and I saw this image of a blonde woman under the age of 20 praying that God would be real to her, and this guy told me I had to step out, so here I am being awkward. And the woman who was crying said, oh, that's, that's what I was crying about. I've, I've believed in God for a long time, but I'm just not sure if this is real. I'm just not sure if he really does speak into our world today, or if he'd really speak to me. And I said, oh yeah, he totally does. He just talked to me over there and made me come over here and be as awkward as I could. So yeah, so there you go. So the next day, I'm talking to another couple of people I met, a husband and a wife, and uh, we're just getting to know each other. And uh, as she walks up, I hear the name Lindsay over and over again in my head. I thought, well, maybe your name's Lindsay. It's a conference that's about listening to God, pretty low-risk environment. And we were talking about the conference, and I said, hey, let me, let me just try, let me try. I said, what's your name? And she said, Kristen. And I said, I am not good at this at all. (laughs) And I said, okay, okay. When you walked up, I started hearing the name Lindsay. Is there anybody in your life named Lindsay who's important to you? And she goes, oh, yeah, she's one of my best friends in the whole world. And I said, okay, okay. Could be a coincidence. Is there any reason we'd be praying for Lindsay today? Is there any reason Lindsay would need prayer today? And she goes, oh, yeah, totally. Lindsay's in a prayer conference in Kansas City today. She's actually in a 24-hour vigil of prayer right now while we're talking. 
And so I prayed for Lindsay that day. And I don't know what to tell you about that, except that God speaks. God speaks really and truly today into the lives of people who are just willing to to step out, just willing to put their feet in the water and believe. And he wants to talk to you, just so that you'll know how much he loves you. Just so you'll know how much he sees you and cares about you, how no detail of your life is out of his hands. He cares about absolutely every single bit of it. He's not going to talk to you to shame you or to call you out. He's going to talk to you to tell you how much he loves you. That's who he is. And if we'll just, if we'll just take the risk of stepping out in faith, just to listen, just to try, God wants to speak into our lives today. And so I want to try a little experiment today as a church, start a new exercise that we'll probably do at the end of our services in an ongoing way here at the church where we take a few minutes to pray together and to listen and to ask God to speak. So I'm going to invite the, the band to come out again and lead us in a little worship. Uh, and I'm going, to, I'm going to invite us into prayer and into listening. Uh, do this with me if you would. Stand up where you are. And let's take a minute to pray. Let's just ask God, let's ask the Holy Spirit to speak into our hearts. Let's pray with me now. Father, we believe in you. We trust you as much as we can. And we want to trust more. We want to live with a peace and security of comfort of knowing that you're there all the time and that you want to catch us. We want to know that even in the storms of our lives, we can walk on water. And so we want now just to open our hearts to your word and to your will, to listen to you and to let you speak. God, may your Holy Spirit settle in this room. Begin to speak into the hearts of those who are listening, that gentle, quiet whisper. Let me invite my, my prayer team up to the front of the room. If you're on the prayer team and you're here to pray, could you come to the front? Uh, and as we pray, we just wait. We just wait and open our hearts for God. Just let God whisper into our lives. So now, if there's anybody here this morning who is um, struggling with an illness, if there's uh, a sickness in your life that you've been fighting against, um, especially a, a respiratory illness that just won't go away, and you'd like prayer for healing, um, let me invite you now. Let, me, let us pray for you right now. If that's you, can you raise your hand where you are? If you've got an illness that's just been nagging at you, uh, doctor hasn't been able to make it go away, medicine's not, not getting rid of it, but it's something you wish you could be done with. Can you raise your hand where you are? Over here. Okay. And I think one in the back. If that's you, can you, can you come forward and let our prayer team just pray for you for a minute? If you want to come, come forward, our prayer team at the front of the room will just pray for you and pray God's love into your heart. Pray God's healing into your, into your life. And if you're, if you're struggling with a, a financial decision that's a hard one, um, and maybe it's an opportunity, 
but it's a decision that you're going to make that feels like it's going to change the rest of your life. Uh, if you uh, would like more of God's wisdom in that decision, if you'd like God to bless that decision or redirect that decision or tell you exactly what God wants uh, in, your, in your finances and in your career, uh, could you raise your hand where you are? Let me pray for you. And when we do this, when we, when we risk in faith, when we stepped out, if we're wrong, nobody dies. It's amazing. Nobody dies. We just extend ourselves to God and let God, let God work in our lives. Is that anybody here today? Got a, got a career decision or finance decision you need to make and you're not sure? If you are sitting there wrestling with it, God knows your heart. And God just wants good things for you. God just wants to bless you with good things. We just wait for God to speak. And the more we listen, the more God does. If you want to come forward anytime for prayer, just come forward. One of our prayer team members will pray with you. Jesus, speak into the hearts of people who are wondering at you. I think there are, we found one of them in the last service. I think there are three people here today, maybe two more, who are right on that edge of faith where they think they think Jesus might be real and they aren't sure. They're right on the edge of trying. You feel like that person who's on the boat just thinking about putting your foot in the water, but the storms are big and it's safer to hang out with the other 10 failures back there who aren't going to move. But if you want to risk today saying, okay, Jesus, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to see what it means to believe in you. I'm going to see what it means to follow you. If that's you, if Jesus is whispering into your heart, why don't you, why don't you come forward and let somebody pray for you this morning? It, it's, a, it's a moment of courage, but it's the moment at which Jesus begins to, to change your life and shape your life and, and rush in, rush in. If that's you, come on forward, yeah. Um, just let, let Jesus speak into your heart. Just let Jesus hold you. Come on forward if you'd like to. He'll pray for you right over here if you'd like to. I think there might be one other person here. It might be in the chapel, actually. But one other person who's right on the edge of faith. Pray with Becky. Right on the edge of faith, who's, who's been thinking, maybe God is for me. I'm just not sure. It's, it's, uh, it's a no-risk bet. If you place yourself in his hands, he just wants to show you how much he loves you and cares for you and wants good things for you. Let's pray, and we're going to continue in worship. Jesus, for all who are here who long to hear your voice and who just aren't sure what it feels like to step out on the water, God, give us faith. Give us courage. Remind us that it's only because you love us that you call us to step forward. It's only because you want to bless us and surround us with your love. It's only because you want us to see how good you are. God, may your goodness pour out on, on we who worship you, 
on all of us who gather around you today. God, may your spirit rest on struggling hearts. Let's take some time and and sing together. Let's worship together. And if you'd like prayer, again, for anything in your life, any kind of sickness or or illness, uh, if you've had had breathing problems or cough, uh, and you you just want God's healing, you just want to put it out there in front of God and say, okay, God, let me see your power, uh, then today's the day to do it. If you want to do that, come forward during worship, uh, and we'll pray with you. Let's sing together. Washing my 
Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Instagram or Facebook at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.